0: five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction and again if you head to tonyoverbay.com there's a section now for a forum and that is a forum that is uh, just now starting to grow where people can go it's an anonymous forum and uh, they can find some strength and a community that can help them overcome um, pornography addiction compulsive sexual behavior or just a place to go to find some additional tools and that is a free forum again that's on tonyoverbay.com uh, a little bit of a shorter episode today, so if you don't mind, I was just kind of feeling, um, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling good about uh, just wanting to, to say thank you, um, that I'm just so glad that you're here. Seriously, I, I had an opportunity to speak at a couple of different places this weekend. I ran into some people just... Um, out and about that uh, that are listening to the podcast and I honestly at times I just don't feel worthy of the nice words that people are saying about the virtual couch so thank you ju- thank you thank you I appreciate it and I know that everybody isn't going to like everything that I say or all the guests that I have on but for the most part uh, the feedback has just been phenomenal and I and I continue I want to welcome your questions your suggestions for future podcast guests and uh, just grateful for that support and for people spreading the word if you've listened a lot you hear me talk about several topics kind of over and over, these soapbox topics um marriages without fixing and judgment parenting without showing your buttons um that the kind of the positive parenting um parenting that encourages the development of inner wealth within our kids and removes us as the role of punisher still having rules and consequences don't get me wrong but uh, taking on more of a role as the person that our kids can look up to and admire and go to with anything and those are the kind of stories that I get to hear that uh, these things are working they they really are and I'm just I'm beyond grateful for those who are implementing positive change in their relationships um, and in their parenting and that are raising their own emotional baseline. Because honestly, I feel, um, I, I just kind of believe that the more that we learn about the positive effects on couples communication through techniques like EFT, emotionally focused therapy, or parenting techniques like the nurtured heart. And these aren't the only ones. These are the ones that I'm passionate about that we really can kind of generate change at a at a larger level. Um, you don't have to be perfect at it to start. You just start where you're at, start with small steps because You honestly can be the agent of change in your relationship. You can drive that narrative with your parenting. If it's not happening now, maybe it's time for you to just do a little bit of raising your own emotional baseline. Uh, Do the self-care that you need to kind of get yourself up onto high ground so you can lift others up. Because I'm telling you that life is going to have ups and downs Um, you know, again, I always go back to this, uh, the book, the road less traveled life is going to be difficult, but as soon as we kind of embrace and understand that life is going to be difficult, that's when we can transcend it. And that's when we can kind of say, okay, you bet it is, but now what are we going to do about it? And there are so many good tools and techniques out there to help, help with that uh, change in the relationship with your thoughts, um, helping to just be a a better way to communicate with uh, friends, with colleagues at work with your kids and parenting. Um, with your couple. Anyway, there's so much, there's so many tools out there, but a lot of times it just takes a little bit of that moving forward. Um, you, you know, you just have to, to know life is worth living and that there are ways to get out of the ruts in life um, to kind of really find a way to truly be authentic. But sometimes you have to do a little bit of the work to find them and you have to start that movement toward change, however small. So let's just start moving. Okay, so that that kind of came out of nowhere. So let me just ask you, I'll do this quickly. Just uh, head over to TonyOverbay.com. Please sign up to learn more about programs I'm working on. Uh, and please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, please continue to share it with your friends. Go subscribe to the Virtual Couch YouTube channel or Instagram account. All those wonderful uh, technology things. And um, and just as support for the virtual couch podcast, please head over and and visit bloomforwomen.com and learn more about their their groundbreaking evidence based work on betrayal trauma. Uh, A couple of people at the end of the week last week clients that I'm working with that have said that that literally has just changed. Their, their life. It's changed their relationships with their partners and helped them to um, just move closer to not only overcoming the betrayal, but then reconnecting with their partner, which is that's just an amazing thing. Um, so whether the betrayal is from a physical affair of a spouse or emotional affair, or if you've learned of a spouse's addiction that you were unaware of, BloomForWomen.com has a community that will help you find healing and hope um so head over there it's it's a it's an inexpensive program to begin with uh on it on a monthly basis but if you just use the code virtual couch all one word you get a month's free access to the site and then of course please continue to visit eli's e-l-i-s dash extracts dot com and use coupon code virtual couch all one word there for 25 percent off their all natural organic shave creams that are scented with essential oils all right let's talk about the podcast today um, my guest is Heather Robinson, and Heather runs a site called halfsizeme.com And I, I reached out to Heather honestly because food just plays such a role in therapy. And uh, I just thought about this, not just from the food that I have in my office, because some of my clients know that I have a bit of a a, a war chest of. Um, I was just going to call it a candy a candy closet, but it sounds kind of bad. But it's. Uh, it has snacks. There are some healthy ones in there. I do have snacks. I can't lie. And I have a little fridge that has water and possibly a few Diet Mountain Dews, a.k.a. Nectar of the Gods. But several times a day, I'm talking about food in my office. And let me be clear that I you know, I get to work with a lot of different um, – Struggles, challenges, problems in therapy—from uh, from couples therapy to parent-teen relationships, and depression and anxiety, uh, OCD, addiction, narcissism, scrupulosity, social anxiety, anger management, betrayal trauma, pornography addiction—those uh, are you know the list can go on and on. But if somebody comes to me with an eating disorder, um, anorexia, bulimia, uh, I typically refer out just because I know that there are therapists in the world. Who are better equipped and trained to work with that population. Um, just like, and I think I've mentioned in the past, I did some work in my, um, in grad school, working at a, a child abuse prevention council and working with doing some kid therapy. And I knew that that wasn't my passion. I have four kids and I love being a dad. Can't wait to be a grandpa, all that good stuff. Um, but I know that there are therapists out there that feel called to work with kids. So I, so I, I don't. Um, but, uh, same with, um, the eating disorders. I typically, that's something that I had referred out to. Although then if you listen to the podcast a few months back with Caitlin Markham, um, on eating disorders, she helped me change my view on eating disorders, looking them at more as disordered eating and just basically people's relationship with food. And so in that realm, I can definitely work with that. But food plays such a role in our lives, um, because here's the bottom line. We have to eat. So if you are talking about addiction to alcohol or drugs or gambling or pornography, these are things that we can live without. Um, You know, you won't die without uh, gambling or pornography, that sort of thing. But you will die if you do not eat. So that's what makes the food such a challenge plus the fact that it is very yummy. So in my office, I work with people who are struggling with whether it's comfort eating or therapeutic eating or shame eating. And in all these scenarios, um, we're not talking about eating too much celery typically it's it's food that uh, that can be and is detrimental to our health as well. so um, and Heather is somebody who has been there. Uh, this is from her website, and we talk about this in the interview, but she says, starting at three hundred and thirteen pounds shortly after the birth of my first son. I went on to lose almost 170 pounds over the next five years. Despite numerous false starts, binge eating and too many obstacles, both physical and mental to list here, I lost the weight naturally through a healthy diet and weight loss. And so I, you know, I was kind of drawn toward that, uh, the mental aspect of uh, weight loss. And so I wanted to see if we could dig a bit deeper onto that. So Heather's story is one that I hope many people can identify with. She struggled with her weight and her relationship with food her entire life. And now I, I think she said she's six years at maintaining her goal weight. And she has programs on her website to help people as well as a support forum, I believe. But uh, but my goal was, of course, to hear a story that I hope many listeners can identify with. And if food isn't your problem, hopefully it'll give you a little more empathy for what people around you are struggling with if their relationship with food is a negative one, if that's kind of one of their struggles or what they're going through. Um, telling them just to knock it off or don't eat that isn't really gonna help because I don't think this will surprise anybody. Um, I can guarantee that they've thought of that and tried that. But it hasn't worked. So I did try and dig a bit deeper on the psychological aspect of Heather's mighty change of heart, um, her change of her relationship with food. And uh, she gives some really good info. And and then we do a little bit of a rapid fire round where we take on everything from, um, I don't know, uh, food plans and uh, going to the doctor and, and what doctors say that are discouraging and that sort of thing. So make sure you stop by Heather's site. Again, it's halfsizeme.com. And I have to tell you, she's, she's kind of a big deal in the world of podcasting. And I was just, I was really, I love it when she responded right away um, when I reached out to her. And she scheduled the interview immediately, which I was, again, grateful for. And off camera and off mic, she was just beyond gracious with her offer to come back on whenever I, I needed her to or wanted her to. So, all right. I hope you enjoy my interview with Heather Robinson. Oh, and before I forget, this interview is on the virtual couch youtube channel so you can head up there and while you're there please hit the subscribe button that would uh, that would be a wonderful thing so here we go with heather robinson creator of the site halfsizeme.com All right here so my guest today is heather robertson and she is founder of the site the podcast the program half size me so heather thank you for coming on the virtual couch
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Tony. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So, and I know, I know you again, I'm, I'm, I'm so flattered that you're on the podcast. I know you've, uh, you do a lot of this. So are you okay with just briefly sharing your story?
1: Absolutely. So how far back do you want me to go? So- <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, of course, as I'm a therapist, you know, go ahead and uh, lay down and uh, let's talk about your mom and dad. Right. <laughs> You 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 don't have to go that far back. And you have a great video on your site, by the way, in your YouTube channel that does put it pretty succinctly. So, you know, just kind of your your general story of uh, your journey
1: absolutely. So, so I can't really remember a time where I didn't struggle with being obese or morbidly obese. Uh, ever since I was a young child, I started binge eating around the age of eight. Mm. Um, and my weight yo-yoed all through my life. I did all kinds of diets, weight cycled, and it wasn't until 20, uh, well, when my son was going to be born 2006, that I decided to start treating this whole weight loss thing differently. Um, I really focused on maintenance, sustainable habit change, and I lost weight in between three pregnancies and having three boys and hitting my goal weight in two thousand and twelve and What I have done with that is since I figured out a way to do this in a sustainable fashion is I started a podcast to help keep me accountable, help educate other people give them hope and inspiration that this can be done. Um, And I've been maintaining my weight loss since 2012. But for me, every day is a gift because I know what it's like to live in that in in obesity and not having full range of motion with my body. And I feel like it's a way for me to kind of give back and to help others find that same success for themselves.
0: Great. And then you talk Heather on your, uh, in the video, it says that you peaked at um, 313 pounds, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did.
0: Now, and ironically, uh I I run this race, uh this Super Bowl of ultra marathons, uh whenever I can and and my number I always choose is 313. I don't know if there's any coincidence there, <laughs> if that was meant to be. 13's always been my favorite number, I I don't know. But anyway, uh it, when there's a moment where you said it was your it was your most humiliating moment. Um do you remember that that part of the video?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of times I had humiliating moments, but the part that really I think hit me hard Um, was well two come to mind one when I went into to to have my first OBGYN appointment with my doctor and I always wanted to be a mom I was always excited Mm -hmm. about having a kid and wanting to be a good mom. And I walked in and and he's like, what's the highest weight you've ever been? And I said, well, 290 pounds is the highest weight I had ever been to that that point. And he said, well, we're starting there. And I really don't want you to gain any weight during this pregnancy. And I just cried and sobbed and I just felt so low because... All I had ever done, Tony, was gain weight. I mean, that's what I, <laughs> I knew how to yeah, do. Yeah. Um, now to tell a pregnant woman, don't gain weight is like, you know, asking her no. <laughs> asking her to do of impossible, right? Yeah. Um, that was number one. And that's, I think, the moment when I decided my life had to change at some point. Like, that, I could not keep doing this forever and ever and ever. Um, and then the second most humiliating point was when I had had my son. And I had gotten over to a number I never thought I would see, which you had mentioned. It, it yeah. was three thirty. I never thought I would see myself go over 300 pounds. And when I saw that, and after having nursed him and been home for six or eight weeks, whatever it was, I thought for sure my weight would have come back under 300. Uh-huh. But seeing it stay above that just was crushing. Um, My home scale that I had at that time didn't even go up to 300 pounds. So I had to go buy a new scale. And I just, again, sobbing and just feeling completely defeated. And like the weight of the world is sitting on your chest. Like you just think to yourself, I'm never going to come out from underneath of this.
0: And that's how I felt. Well, and, and, and a super quick comment to that, that uh, episode with the doctor, I have a lot of uh, my clients that talk about not even wanting to go into the doctor just because of that scale, or what the uh, feeling like they're going to be shamed for their weight. Did you did you have that experience? Um, throughout your life,
1: over and over and over again, I can't tell you. I'm thankful I dealt with my weight at a young enough age that I probably didn't have a reason. You know, a lot of times people wait till their 40s, 50s, 60s to start seeing the doctor because there's issues that are yeah. creeping up, right? Medical sure. issues, but but they're always loath to do it because they know their weight's going to be brought up. And so, um, for me, I was fortunate in that I got pregnant when I was 30, and I feel I missed. Getting a lot of the issues that would have forced me to go see the doctor, like heart issues okay. or diabetes. But, but yeah, no, if I could avoid going to the doctor, the OBGYN, anybody who was going to weigh me, I would. And I tell my coaching clients and I tell my listeners, set your boundaries with the doctor
0: from Thank the you. get go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What you do you say. say? Okay.
1: Yeah. When you see that nurse, the first off, you're going to meet the nurse first. You're not going to meet the doctor. And what I tell the nurse or what I have people tell the nurse is, you know, I'm actually currently working on healthy habits and my weight. Um, and I would really appreciate it if the doctor would not discuss that topic with me. I'm a, I'm fully aware and I don't really want to have that conversation setting that precedent because the doctor kind of, I hate to say it, it's almost kind of scripted, they have to discuss it. No <laughs> and yeah. a lot of times it makes people feel very awkward and uncomfortable. So if you beat it to the chase and you say, okay, these are the things I'm doing. I really would like the doctor not to go through all this with me today. I'm here for a sinus infection. And that's really what I want out with. Um, you know, And I know about the weight thing. And that's the thing. It's very disheartening to somebody who's overweight or obese because they already know they're overweight or obese. They right, don't need right. someone telling them that. I've had overweight and obese doctors tell me I need a Lose weight, and I'm like, well, if it was easy, you would have done it by now, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so my point is, set the ground. It's, you you put down what it is you want. To discuss, set that with them when you go in. Be proactive, not reactive. That's what I would highly encourage people to do.
0: Okay, I love that. And I have a lot of clients that I see that uh, they have doctor's appointments for anything, medications, mental health issues, and then uh, they go in and they panic, they freeze. And so I'm trying to work with people to um, write lists, record your thoughts, do whatever. I mean, that's okay. I love your advice of uh, kind of be proactive then while going into the doctor. Thank you for that. Um, The scale, I mean, I'm surprised and I, I love the fact that you. You know, you didn't just take the scale and throw it away. I mean, you know, what kind of kept you going when, when you had to go get the new scale?
1: Sure. So reality is reality, whether we want it to be or not. And so I can sit there and pretend I'm not over 300 pounds or I can face that. And start making changes that I can live with in order to move it down. And so when you're looking at a brand new child that you're responsible for, mm. you are now going to be educating them, teaching them, you know, it, to, to play avoidance with yourself, to, in my way of thinking, would just be, in a way, teaching it to your child, where when we know what reality is, then we can make changes. And a lot of times when I was overweight, I didn't weigh myself. I totally okay. avoided them scale. Um, and that's a very normal, that's very normal for most overweight and obese people. They avoid the scale until they choose to go on a diet. When they choose to go on a diet, then they start to kind of become obsessive about it. Um, but for me, what I decided was not knowing wasn't serving me. It had gotten me to a place I didn't really want to be. And at least by knowing the reality, I could make a plan to actually start to work myself out of it. So hiding from it Never got me where I wanted to be, so at least being aware of it would would avoid me repeating the same behaviors over and over
0: again. That's perfect. I had written down something you had said on. I read on your site where you said it didn't work before, um, and I was going to ask you what what was different this time, and you just lined that right up. Because I love talking to clients about you know awareness and and kind of just using that as data, removing the shame, and then what do we do with it now? So it sounds like that's a big thing that you you work with, whether in your coaching or or personally.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of shame around eating. And and let's be honest, I mean, I'm sure if you've been paying at all any attention to weight loss stuff that's out there, whether it's a commercial, whether it's another podcast, Uh, there's a lot of stigma around what diet approach you should be taking. This idea of clean eating by its very name, it makes you think that it's virtuous to eat a certain way, right? There's a lot of verbiage that goes along in the dieting world that makes people think it's a a kind of a character flaw that they would want chocolate, right? Yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And the reality is, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Um, I am, I'm personally, I'm of the mindset, you should always have a fun food every single day that you enjoy. Because here's what it comes down to. Where this got really different for me Uh was I refused to handcuff myself to one diet approach. I refused to say, Heather will only be low carb. Heather will only be vegetarian vegan. Heather will only be these things. And that's what I had done in the past. That's what got me to 300 pounds. I had yo-yo cycled so much with my weight that I got into a really unhealthy place as opposed to, you know what I'm going to eat normally Um, I'm going to still have treats. I'm not going to forbid that I'm going to work on my binge eating behaviors and where the scale goes, the scale goes, but I can't do this on off thing anymore. This I'm going to be on this diet Monday and then binge over the weekend and then get back on again Monday, which is what a lot of people fall victim to.
0: I I hear that all the time. And, And I love what you're saying here because even as a therapist, uh, I think that people act surprised that they say, you know, is it okay if I bring up food in here? And I think that people's relationship with food is so, it can be so toxic. Um, uh, and, and they judge themselves, they judge themselves against others. And, uh, so, so you're saying no more of the on off, um, or change your relationship with food. It sounds like.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If if you still think a diet is going to fix your relationship with food, you're barking up the wrong tree. You've got to start to change your relationship with food in the sense of not condemning yourself for eating that bag of M&Ms, um, for not thinking somehow you're less uh, you know, valuable because you had a dessert. It's mm-hmm. also acknowledging going back to the reality of weighing yourself on the scale. It also goes back to what what is your food tendencies? What do you like to eat? I've had many, and I'm sure you've seen this with other people, they get so tethered to all these different dietary beliefs, they don't even know what they like to eat. It's like you ask them and they look at you and they're like, I don't know, I've never thought about that. Because we've become so detached from ourselves and what we like and worrying about keeping up with the Joneses dietary-wise. That we, we kind of glom onto to whatever we think is popular, whether we like it or not. And, and that's the problem. We kind of have to start to be honest with ourselves, look at ourselves and what we like and what we don't like and start to actually put together meal plans and food that we would enjoy eating to keep us at home eating and, and to make it manageable to where we can achieve a healthy body weight.
0: Well, let me ask you that. So I find that a lot of people do. They, they want to do what's right. They feel even at times they know what, they, what is right um, with regard to food. But you said that, that word meal planning. And I feel like in my office, that becomes a, a pretty heavy topic because that takes time and it takes thought and it takes going to the store and the store can be a trigger. And do you have some kind of thoughts on, on how to successfully meal plan?
1: Absolutely. I'm actually putting a course together on meal planning specifically, but I also wrote a book on it. But my meal planning idea is not what what most people probably are thinking. They're thinking somebody writes up meal plans and hands it to them with what you should eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I I find that is really unhelpful and really not getting somebody. I'm a teach a man to fish he eats for a lifetime kind of person. What I think meal planning really should be is being consistent with structuring time into your week to actually write down what you want to eat for the week. Actually going out, purchasing those ingredients, and then making it. Removing the shame around the things you might... So if you want burgers and fries one night, buy burger patties, buy fries, write them down for Monday night's dinner. But people say, but Heather, it sh- should be grilled chicken or broiled fish. No, it shouldn't. It should be the food you're going to want to eat. <laughs> because if it's not, then you're not going to be successful, right? Yes. So meal planning, if you think about it, you can actually do it on the rear. What I mean by that is just keep track of all the dinners you ate for this week, write them down. Which ones did you really like? Which ones would you want to eat again? Then reverse that process the next week and say, well, last week I had spaghetti meatballs on Monday. I had burgers and fries on Wednesday. I went out to eat on Thursday. Look at all those different meals and start to use those to help you put together a meal plan that you cook at home. Honestly, if you can get out of eating at restaurants and start uh-huh. making the restaurant foods at home, you save tons of calories. It's an amazing transformation. I have one client, she does Chinese takeout at home where she literally buys all the Chinese food she likes to eat at a a takeout restaurant, but she makes it at home. She saves so many calories because she's not deep frying. She's not cooking in lots of oil. So it doesn't have to be this complicated looking up all the recipes on Pinterest kind of thing. It really can be what is it you like to eat and then start preparing it at home but scheduling out maybe 20, 30 minutes a week to do this, make sure it's backed up to when you would normally go grocery shopping, make sure the food you put on there you actually want to eat, not you feel you should be eating. And then let's be honest about eating out for a second. If right now you're eating out five times a week, times a week a week, a lot of people do eat out quite frequently. What if you were to just pre-budget four nights of eating out, drop one. Make that a meal at home. And then each week, try to lower that number just a little bit, because then you're going to be having better control of the nutritional value of your food.
0: That's perfect. In in my world of uh, working with addiction, we call it harm reduction, right? So uh, we don't have to go all or nothing. If you make progress, um, then give yourself some credit for that and, uh, and then use that data and move forward. I love it. Um, hey, so can I ask you, I had reached out to a lot of uh, of the people that follow me. I, I have a hard time saying my followers. That sounds like I'm some uh, cult leader, right? Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But I I reached out and asked some questions. Do you mind if I do a little bit of a a rapid fire then while I've got you? I mean, I'm loving everything. So, um, and first of all, I missed an opportunity on your video. You talk about three boys within three years. So I feel like there's a joke there about that's a weight loss strategy in itself of chasing small boys. I mean, was that effective as well?
1: (laughs) Yeah, they definitely keep you, but you know, it's funny. They can also produce a lot of stress eating too. Uh (laughs) Yeah. There was times where I was like literally in the kitchen trying to eat because when you've got two toddlers and a baby all at the same time, sometimes the stress load is just so hard for a mom. Um, Even though physically, yeah, you're way active because you're chasing them and you're, and you're trying to keep up with them, but just the mental taxation. So a lot of what I work on, is how to deal with those stressors, especially for moms, because that stuff can really wear on you day in and day out. But yes, it it can be a double, a double edged sword, if you will.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I have to, I have to bring some awareness here to, uh, I have four, four kids. They're all teenagers or older now, but when they were little, I felt that dad need to, uh, eat the leftover chicken nuggets or fries or that sort of thing. And I think that can add a, a more calories than I think we anticipate as well. Do you run into people that struggle with that?
1: All the time. So there's a couple techniques that I use. One is called button chair food on plate, which is you literally what you can eat, whatever you want. We we don't put any hold on that, but it's not eating standing up and it's not pulling stuff off of other people's plates. Ah. Right. So You want your kids' leftover chicken nuggets, you put them on your plate, you sit down and eat them. Most moms, it's that mind, it will for, or dads, it's that mindless eating because we're stressed, we're nervous, we're feeling kind of frustrated or whatever. But if you know you have to put it on a plate and you have to sit down and eat it, and that's, and that might be the only focus that person has that week or a couple weeks. Um, it really is eye opening for them. They didn't realize how much they were doing that behavior. So that is, is the first thing. And the second thing is making sure that um you structure how your eating situations are to being um one you're not hungry because a lot of times what parents will do is they'll try to feed their kid first oh. then they try to eat but if you're hungry you're going to eat what's ever there i mean hunger hunger takes over rational thought sometimes right so yeah. so i always say maybe changing the order in which you feed your family maybe you eat first or you have a really hearty snack You feed your kids, then you eat your dinner. But don't set yourself up for failure by going into feeding your kids hungry, stressed, and tired, because more than likely you're going to eat off their plate. So it's those two things, the button chair, food on plate, and then really taking a look at how you structure your eating around your kids can be quite impactful.
0: I love that. My, my wife and I often just say, you know, when we're at a restaurant, okay, we got to go because we're just sport eating now. Now we're just eating fries because they're there or whatever else is on the plate. I love that. Okay. You, you, uh, you kind of uh, led me to think of one of the questions that I got asked a lot was, what are your thoughts about uh, keeping a food diary? Are you a food diary keeper? Or are you pro con?
1: Yes, I am very, very pro on that. Um, And I'll tell you why, because it goes back to the honesty piece with your weight. Mm -hmm. You also need an honesty piece with your food. And- and so that can look different for everybody. Um, I know some people who, li- who like to do old school paper, pencil journaling, and they literally just like to write what they ate, how they felt, their their day progress, how things went. It's just being mindful. If we're not mindful of what we're eating, going back to the chicken nugget experience, if we're not writing those things down, and then we wonder why did we gain a couple pounds this month? Well, if three out of the five days you were mindlessly eating off your kid's plate every single week, that's probably where those sneaky calories are coming in, right? So, so in that way, it can be very, very helpful. Um, with a strict, you know, just a straight up even habit change, it can be helpful. So a lot of times people think if I food journal, I should be aiming for a certain calorie target or a certain amount of macros or a certain amount of points. Like they, they put these um, restrictions on themselves from, the, from day one. Whereas I say, no, let's scratch that let's actually just food journal what you eat now. Like if you're hitting McDonald's every day for lunch, write it down, write down what you're eating, become aware of it. Um, If you want to see the calories and that information, go ahead and journal it, but become very aware of how you eat now. Then say next week or, or two weeks later after you've done that practice, what is it I could start to do to improve this? Maybe add some vegetables to lunch. Maybe add a piece of fruit to breakfast. Maybe, you know, pass on the large fry and get a medium fry. Making those small adjustments over time are going to create the calorie deficit without it feeling overwhelming and really pressing you down. Um, a lot of times people feel like, oh my goodness, I'm just eating 1,200 calories a day and they were eating 3,000, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, that's a huge change. Whereas if you know you're eating 3,000, you can make small changes in your habits to start to decrease the caloric consumption, which will then cause weight loss. So I look at it as a very good way to be honest and transparent with yourself and to highlight the habits that you need to change long-term in order to sustain that lighter body weight you're shooting for.
0: You know, and and I wonder if this is one of these things where as uh, you, as, as coaching clients, and then me as therapists get two different views of this as well, because one of the notes I wrote down was I run into people, and this is a a very, almost a direct quote from a client I've been working with who said, well, I keep the food diary, but I'm not going to let my trainer know about the couple of full calorie sodas I drink because I don't want her to be disappointed in me. I mean, do you know when people are not Mm. being truthful with you?
1: Yeah. I tell them from day one, if, if we can't be honest, then you might as well not hire me Yeah, because, you know, I, I, and I think here's where I have an advantage versus most personal trainers. I've been 300 pounds. I've been obese. I've had that life. And so I have a, a built in trust with somebody who's in that same situation. If they see their personal trainer as being this exceptional human being who never eats inappropriately, or who's really rigorous with their training, and they've never struggled with overweight or obesity in the the mind of your client, then they are going to feel uncomfortable sharing that because they're not going to think he or she understands. Now, what I have learned is that most personal trainers have a lot of eating issues. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of people in that field actually have very disordered eating and a lot of times even eating disorders. Um, and they are trying to keep up appearances, which is a lot of pressure on them. So uh, often they do understand, but they might not be revealing that to their client. But then the client has this idea; they put them up on a pedestal. This person can do no wrong. They they have they're kind of above me in this regard, and so I want to look really good in their in their presence. And honestly, that comes down to good communication between that trainer and that client. And the trainer should be setting them straight on the fact that they probably do eat things that are off sometimes. Okay. And that if they are not completely honest, there's no point in them working together because if that person's hiding two bags of M&Ms that they're not putting in their food journal, it's not serving the client. And it's really not serving the trainer because the trainer's job mm-hmm. is to find what's broken and start to help them fix it. And they can't do that if they're hiding what's broken from the trainer.
0: Okay, I love it. And okay, you mentioned uh, and, um, again on the kind of the rapid fire uh you talk about in your story attending weight watchers. Um I I'm curious, I had a couple of questions about what do you feel the role of accountability plays? Do you feel like people trying to lose weight in secret is one of the bigger challenges?
1: Yeah, I I think it can go either direction. It depends on what kind of accountability you have. Um I I I see accountability in a support group setting as being very helpful i see sometimes people using things like diet bets and competitions Mm -hmm. as quote-unquote accountability and i see those often backfire so i tell people be very cautious as to how you view accountability and what kind you tap into because you want to make sure it's something that's actually helpful for you versus something that's going to to get, quote-unquote, results, but ultimately sets you up for future problems. So if you're engaging in things like diet bets or gam- basically gambling your weight loss away um, or doing it for some kind of public recognition, I always tell people uh, you know, my experience with long-term weight maintenance because, see, here's the difference. What are you valuing? The momentary drop on the scale to get that 20 pounds off for a cruise or whatever mm-hmm. – or do you want to keep it off past that point? And that's what I focus on. What happens once the cruise is over? Are you still keeping the 20 pounds off? Um, I'm about six years out now of maintaining my weight loss. To me, wow. that's more valuable than having lost the weight because the amount of regain statistics. So when we're thinking of a general support group, people of a common mindset that get it. Um, it's very valuable. And and that's, a, that's what a lot of people need because it's a constant battle mentally every day, even when you're maintaining. So you've got to make sure you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people. But if you're doing the weight loss under the guise of I'm accountable because I have this deadline I'm shooting for and there's this competition I entered, I often see that as being more destructive.
0: I, I I appreciate you clarifying that. I actually uh, have someone doing uh, or some there is some talk of competition and that being a negative thing. And, and I'm in my office having to process. Uh, then that brings along extra guilt or shame because then people feel like they weren't able to uh, stay motivated, even if there was money, at, 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 you know, on the line, and and uh, kind of brings them down worse.
1: Oh, absolutely. I I tried losing weight multiple times for weddings big events. And I ended up gaining more weight before the actual thing happened because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be done by this date. And then when we start to slip, it just compounds the problem. Whereas I tell people having done this for all different reasons and all different ways and failed miserably many, many times, What I say is you really have to ask yourself at some point, what is this you want for the long haul? When you're 60, 70, 80 years of age, do you want to still be battling the same 20, 30, 100 pounds? Or do you want to have it to where you're living your life, you're maintaining the weight loss... You're able to enjoy being free of this weight for the rest of your life. That's my goal. And look at it as even if it took you five years to lose the weight or or two years or whatever, it's an investment. It's not wasted time. Because then once you've learned all those habits to, to get that weight off, you now are in a good place to maintain it for the rest of your life. It's just a totally different mindset around it.
0: Okay. All right, Heather. I know I've only got you for a couple more minutes. Let me ask you one deep dive therapist question. And then after that, I want you to put your motivational speaker hat on. Are you ready?
1: Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: All right. Here comes the (laughs) therapist. So I, you know, I do have so many people that that just get to this point where I just hear this phrase over and over. I just need to do it. I I just need to do it. And I feel like then I almost see this kind of, uh, just a glazed look, and then just this this shame, this guilt, and so I mean, you've been there. What even when you're when you see the scale at its 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 uh, highest, or you're in and you're about to have a kid, and you talked about wanting to be the mom that is not on the sidelines, and so what was it though that I mean, emotionally, mentally, what was it that finally got you to say, "I'm I'm doing it. I'm finally doing it."
1: Right. So so for me again, it was having my son. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a teacher. I used to be a middle school teacher. And what I learned about kids is that they never really care what you say. They watch what you do. And so, you know, I did not want to be the parent who's telling my kid, eat the healthy stuff. And I'm shoveling down several slices of pizza and eating ice cream. You know, like I, I didn't want to be living a hypocritical life from what I knew was important versus what i was doing i wanted those okay. two things to become in line um but i want to speak to the client that says i know i just have to do it yeah where the shutdown happens and why that glazed look comes over their face is because they feel they must change everything all at once yeah. in order to get there. that's the piece that i really want to deliver home in this message tony okay um, and maybe this will kind of go into my my yeah, do it. on let's do it oh no <laughs> um, <laughs> but 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 that's I want to stop you right there. I want you to hear me. I want you to stop right there and I want you to understand that nothing is going to happen overnight from these changes. You are going to have to layer them in over time. And that that feeling that holds you back from doing it is because you think you got to start exercising, start eating all the correct foods, eliminating all the treats. Being on some kind of regimented food plan or meal plan. And I promise you, having lived this life and having coached many people through this process, that is absolutely not true. You do not have to do it like that at all. All you have to do, and this is where I started, Tony. I got up one day and I said, what does a healthy person do? They move. That's what they do. So I put my kid in a stroller and I walked him around the block. I didn't even touch my food. I just got into walking my kid around the block in a stroller. And when you're 300 pounds and you're pushing a stroller, that's work. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was doing that. Then I said, what's the next thing I could do? Oh, I know. I don't really eat that many vegetables. I buy them at the grocery store. They sit in the freezer. I throw them out because they get rot in the refrigerator, but I'm not eating them, okay? So what if I maybe started to incorporate one more vegetable at lunch or one more piece of fruit at breakfast, bringing in quality food to my diet? okay and i didn't even restrict because as i mentioned earlier i actually struggle with binge eating which if you're if people listening to this uh, struggle with that they understand a lot of times dieting can bring that on because you're yeah. taking food away which brings on the impulse to want to binge. So so I couldn't always go that direction. Sometimes it was adding food, not taking food away. But what happens, Tony, over time, you start getting physical fitness in, you start bringing all these fruits and vegetables, which adds bulk to your meals, maybe makes you feel a little more satisfied. The weight starts to kind of start to creep down a little bit, right? And so somebody who's got a lot of weight to lose could be losing 5, 10, 20 pounds over the course of of weeks and months just from making these changes to their habits. But notice I didn't wake up one day, start the eating program that somebody prescribed to me hit the gym three or four times a week. I didn't even start going to the gym until my second son was born. So okay. so my point is these slow, sustainable habit changes are what they need to be focusing on. And the glazed look of, oh, I just need to do this is because they literally think they've got to do it all at once. Tomorrow, they need to almost be living somebody else's life in order to get there. What they don't realize is from the time somebody starts, this journey to the time they get it done, if they've done it in a a healthy, sustainable way, they've had months, if not years of practice with these habits that have gotten the weight off to keep it off. The after part that you see that you feel you must mimic, that, that took a long time to build. So give yourself the same grace and give yourself the same time focus on what habit can I bring in this week or next week and slowly layer them in. And then it won't feel overwhelming and you'll start to allow yourself to make progress over time.
0: Heather, that was wonderful. So I, I am, I I think that, uh, yeah, you, you, you answered, checked the motivational speaker box. I was going to say if somebody um, now is hearing this and they're going to be motivated, which I don't see how they wouldn't be motivated, what do they do first? And you're just saying, Hey, just, just have some awareness, be honest uh, have some movement. Don't feel like you have to do everything at once.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and honestly, I would just pick one bucket or the other. I would okay. just say, okay, this week, you know, uh, if we're thinking about physical movement and we're thinking about eating – just say, which one do you feel the least resistance to do right now? Um, a lot of people, if, they, if they're yo-yo dieters, they probably feel less resistance to adding in some movement. They might be willing to start going for a walk. Start there. then And keep it real. Let's keep it real. When I say movement, I don't mean you sit on the couch five or six or seven days a week, and then tomorrow you're out training for a 5K. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. What I'm, say- <laughs> what I'm saying is you get your butt off the couch, you go for a 10-minute walk, Next week, it's 15 minutes. The week after that, it's 20 minutes. You layer and you build on. Then with the food, maybe right now you look at your food, you think, man, you know, I don't see too many colors on my plate. I see a lot of browns and beiges and whites, but I'm not seeing a lot of colors. Why don't I add in some veggies not take away anything, add in. And then you start to layer that in. And the more that you practice these behaviors and really think about what would somebody at their ideal body weights, probably food and fitness look like, really like pay attention to that and say long-term, that's what I'm headed for, but I need to make baby steps to get there. And, And that's what you're asking yourself right now. Am I willing to do a physical baby step or a nutritional baby step and move yourself in that direction? It will take a little bit longer, but here's again, the thing, it's not as temporary, meaning we're shooting for permanent weight loss, weight loss that doesn't come back. And the question you say to yourself is, what am I willing to do for the rest of my life? I'm willing to take 10 or 20 minute walks. I'm willing to eat a few vegetables through the day. I I, I don't feel resentment. Then do that because those are the things you're going to stick with. And when we're talking about weight regain, which is really the big issue when it comes to weight loss, you will whatever you lose you get to keep off because you did it in this more sustainable maintainable fashion
0: perfect heather robertson thank you so much for taking the time today to uh, to to i mean you i i can tell why you love what you do you're passionate about it it's worked for you um people can find you at halfsizeme.com um it, what else what else can we uh, can we know about you
1: absolutely. Yeah. No, I always tell people go to iTunes, subscribe to our free show. Uh, We just, I think released 325 this week. Um, So, so plenty of good content, make sure that you like my message and and that I align with what it is your, your thoughts are around this, this particular topic. But then if you are, I got plenty of, I, I really work on restructuring people's thoughts around these particular issues because there's a lot of misinformation i believe out in the world when it comes to diet nutrition and fitness and what's going to get you sustainable change over time so i put together courses i have ebooks things like that but i always say before you spend any money go the free route listen to me on itunes see if you like what i have to say um, and then you can just go to halfsizeme.com to find the rest
0: perfect i really appreciate you taking the time and uh, i wish you success and uh and I, i would love to have you back on down the road
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for reaching out, Tony. You were really yeah. awesome. I appreciate
0: no, it. No, thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later, Heather. Thank you.
1: Compressed emotions flying
2: past, our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind. is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost are floating past.